Business Women Rock, episode 46. Ladies, it's time to rock. Welcome to the Business Women Rock podcast, where we get down and dirty with the world's most incredible business women. Inspire your journey by listening to theirs. And now, here's your host, Katie Kremitzos. What's up, ladies? Welcome to the Business Women Rock podcast. You will find today's episode at bizwomenrock.com forward slash 46. Let's get right into the show. My guest today is Kit Shapiro, who's the founder of Simply Eartha, which is an accessory brand that says something. And the cool story behind Kit is the fact that she is the daughter of the famous Hollywood actress, uh, singer, Broadway star, um, Eartha Kit. And she's got such a great story because this is truly a great example of a tribute that she did for her mother. And what is so cool about this brand is that she really has utilized kind of this um, honorary tribute to her mother and use it as a story-driven brand. And so all of these things that are accessories like, you know, a candle, a, um, a bracelet, all those things that have her mom's, what they would call kit-isms on it, all these really great kind of inspirational and smart sayings. And she's made a brand out of it. She's made a business out of it. And so she's talking to us about who her mom was. And we spend a lot of time on that in the beginning because it really helps you understand why this particular business itself, these actual products that are getting sold, why why it's getting done in such a different way. Kit's story is very interesting. She's very much a storyteller. So, you know, there is not these like, here are the 10 steps on how to do what I've done, but it's more so the story behind how she's evolved, how this has come about, um, and how this business is really something so unique, even though at the end of the day, it is a product. She's selling it online. She's selling it by getting it into stores. But there's so much more, and the story is what really, truly makes it so much more. So... Turn up the volume. The interview starts now. Kit, thank you so much for being on the show today. Oh, you're very welcome to be here. I'm really, really excited to be able to have you on the show and tell your story because it's such a beautiful one. And I have to tell you, I was so touched emotionally and business-wise when I came across you and found out about what you're doing because what you're doing is it's an honorary tribute to your mother, Eartha Kitt. And, you know, she was just an amazing actress, an amazing singer, just this all-around great down-home Hollywood girl. And you have created such a unique business um, that has really utilized who she was. And I really want to be able to tell that story. Um, but first of all, for those of us who do not necessarily know who Eartha Kitt was, or for those of us who absolutely loved her and would love a refresher, tell us a little yes. bit about your mother. So my mother was um, a very feline, exotic-looking woman. She was black, in uh, American Indian, and um, probably her father was probably white Caucasian, although she never knew who her father was. My mother was born in the South, a little town outside of Columbia, South Carolina. She was a catwoman on Batman, and she sang the song Santa Baby that we all hear at Christmas time. My mother it was actually written for my mother. 
she first recorded it back in, I think, 1951. And it became sort of synonymous with, with who she was. She was um, an actress, a dancer, a singer. She had a very unique vocal quality that I think most people would recognize um, as they get as we get to the younger folks from the work that she did in, for Disney. She voiced the character of Yzma, which was the villain in The Emperor's New Groove, which was a theatrical release, an animated film. And then for the television series, The Emperor's New School, for which she won two Emmy Awards for that vocal um, acting first person that she had. The villain, she loved to play the villain. She also did the Disney film Holes, so they recognized her from that. She then did the movie Boomerang with Eddie Murphy, so then you've got a little bit of an older generation who recognizes her from that. And then you have the older people who remember her when she started on Broadway in 1952, uh, in New Faces of 52. Um, Mel Brooks was one of the writers on that show, um, which is just interesting, kind of how my mother's life was so part and parcel of the icons that we think of, you know, she was part of that uh, Paul Newman and um, Marlon Brando, um, Nat King Cole, uh, Cam Calloway, you know, that whole era um, in the 50s, my mother was right smack in the middle of that. And um, that's when she became the most famous in 1952. And she was also very, you know, like I said, as the, as the years got later, the younger generations remember. I mean, my mother had a very, very long career. She was very blessed. She was able to keep her vo- her voice as strong and as powerful and as unique and clear way up until her 80s. So when she would sing, you know, people would think, you know, you could listen to a 30 or 40 year old. Uh, and she kept herself physically fit. You, you, you know, she looked like she was in her 50s when she passed at, at 81 years old. So, um, yeah, so she was this amazing. Very down-to-earth, Eartha was, in fact, her given name. She was uh, born on a cotton plantation and in 1927, and even though slavery was officially abolished, it was, you know, not a very equal place to live in the South. And my mother picked cotton. She, would just, she described it to me throughout my life and how difficult it is to pick a pound of cotton. And the ends of the cotton bulb are very sharp, and so your fingers cut up and raw, and they used to tell me that she would take little tiny pebbles, and, you know, you could really not see, but anything that would weigh the bag to make the weight, help the bag weigh a little bit more, because, you know, the hours of just grueling, um, you know, bending over and standing in the fields and picking this cotton, obviously, was not an easy thing, certainly not a glamorous thing to do. Um, my mother was orphaned. Her mother died at a very early age. She did not know any of her family. She was what was called a yellow gal in the South because she was a light-skinned black person. And that was not really acceptable by the African-American community and certainly not acceptable by the Caucasian white community. So she was sort of this no-man's-land of a, of a person. She was mistreated and um, was eventually taken in by a family. Um, she says that the, about the woman who who took her in was blind, but she did not know that she, what her skin color was. But she still, you know, was the kids and the people in the South did not treat her well at all. And she, as she would reiterate to me throughout my life, she really learned from following the animals, from being outside and watching them um, 
eat and connect and interact with each other and picking up on their vibes. And she was so connected to the to the world, the universe, whatever it was. I'm not sure because I was never in her body, but she was clearly on a different level. And I know nowadays, nowadays we, we are much more. It's much more acceptable to sort of be connected to our our planet or to our inner voice or to outer voices or whatever it is that you want to, you know, the spirits or, or the, the feeling, you know, the sensations of, of the, the power of everybody else and of, of the trees and everything. But my mother was truly lived like that. And so when I, you know, when you look at her, she would say, I'm just a simple little cotton picker from the South. <laughs> and she really was. She had this sort of this grand damn diva uh, or, um, image standing up on the stage, but at home we I lived in Beverly Hills. I grew up in Beverly Hills, and we had a vegetable garden. And my mother, we even had chickens, and because my mother, you know, wanted lot we didn't eat the chickens. We had to eat the eggs. But she believed that if it didn't come from the earth, then you didn't eat it. My mother truly, truly lived like that, and she also believed that you don't throw it away, you don't waste it, whatever it is. If it's a piece of paper, you use the back. If it's uh, if it's food, you put it back into the ground and you compost it. Um, if it was words, you don't waste your words. You, she, you don't use too many of them, and you say what you have to say and you move on. You know, clearly she was simply Eartha and of the earth. And I think what's so beautiful and the reason why I really wanted you to give us kind of a, a full-figured story about your mother is because it's so foundational to what you're doing in business right now. And I do have to say that, I mean, the, the credits that your mom has and, you know, her whole discography is huge. And for somebody who has done so much and so diverse of work in Hollywood, she was, like, you could just tell, like, she was totally down to earth. She was very humble. She she got it. And so before you um, started Simply Eartha, you actually worked for your mom's production company for quite some time. And I want to get an idea of your business experience first. So can you talk a little bit about what your experience was within her production company, what you did, kind of what business lessons did you learn? And then obviously, how did that relate to working for your mom's business and being connected to her? Well, twofold. When my mother would would um, often introduce us, let me just say, first of all, I'm an only child. My mother's only child. My parents are married for five years. And um, I was everything to my mother. If ever anybody who knew my mother or listened to her interviews, it, mostly she talked about me. And and I'll you know that that was wonderful and and difficult at some times, of course, in my life as a, as a teenage a teenager who doesn't want your parents to be you know have you be be the sense of your parents' life. But um, she gave me the name Kip, and she would all often introduce us, and she would say, "I'm Eartha, and this is Kip." As if mm. I complete, as if I completed her somehow, and I really think I did complete her. I think that I gave her the roots, and you know, with her name being Eartha, giving somebody the roots, the roots that she didn't have. She didn't have a family that she knew of. I mean, clearly she had a family, but she didn't really know any members of her family. She had memories of being a child of being terribly abused, and so here she sort of gave birth to what she saw as being this you know, her connection to being rooted uh, and and grounded. And so I grew up uh, with a lot of responsibility. There's a lot of responsibility as an only child being, you know, the, the everything to your parents. 
And then they've come, she had the complications of being a daughter and, you know, mothers and daughters, you know, in and of themselves have, you know, their own complicated relationships. But I often say, looking back on my, on my life now as an adult, I'm, you know, 52 years old, that I think I was a really good fit for my mother. It's almost like, you know, somebody was putting together the babies and the mommies and they were saying, that would be a good fit with that one. Because I, at a very young age, I really got how important I was to her and how important that really was, you know, and it was okay with me. Um, there were times as a teenager and as a 20-something-year-old where, you know, I didn't want her to, to breathe or look at me or, God, please don't sing. Whatever you do, you embarrass <laughs> me just by being, you know, in the room. But, you know, um, and that was just normal, you know, growing up stuff. But I really did understand that I was, she loved me more than anything else on this planet. And I think at, at times when I fought that, when it really came down to it, that's the greatest gift a parent can give a child, is knowing how much they're loved. I wasn't loved to the point where I was spoiled. You know, she didn't just, she doesn't just give me things or hand me things. Far from it. I was brought up uh, learning what the real world was like and be getting experiences that my mother gave me through traveling the world and seeing how other cultures, people really, really lived, not from a hotel room, but by going and living with, and you know, indigenous people and just locals and on every level. And there were times when I was as miserable as any teenage kid would be, rolling their eyes and, you know, crying and that I, all I want to do is go back to the hotel and watch the TV and be in the air conditioning. And, you know, my mother just ignored me because she knew that, that that kind of experience and travel was more than you could ever learn in a book. So you obviously have so much passion for your mother and had, you know, just a really deep connection with her amongst the, you know, hardcore issues that any teenage daughter is going to yep. have with her mother. And we had a real relationship. It was a real relationship. There were times when, you know, we fought. There were times when we didn't speak. Um, but that's what, you know, was real about it. And when I became... Um, when I was pregnant with my son, uh, who is now 24 years old, <laughs> um, I had been—I had gone to college. I had dabbled in the fashion business. I had modeled a little bit. You know, I sort of never really found my way. I, I'm not really sure if, what my way was. If I, if I had to look back on it, I, I don't know what I would have done differently. But, you know, I really wasn't sure where I was going in the world. I was, you know, 22, 23 years old. And it, when and I was pregnant with my son at 20 whatever it was, 28, and she said to me, you know, I've been wanting you to work for me for years. My mother didn't trust anybody. She didn't trust lawyers. She didn't trust agents. She didn't trust managers. So in her mind, the only, how can you not trust your child? I mean, we were as close as, as a mother-daughter could possibly be. So she would, you know, she said to me, you work for me. Work for Eartha Kid Productions. This is going to be yours one day anyway. So if you steal from me now... <laughs> it's going gonna, it's gonna to all be it's end gonna, up in your lap. It's going to kick you in the butt then, right? <laughs> right, exactly. So that was how I ended up working for my mother. So what kind of experience were you having within her business that kind of gave you a little bit of like a business background, like a business education? What kind of things were you experiencing? Well, I would, um, as as it evolved, I really became her, the the sort of guard to her. Um, she wasn't very good. She was very good at getting on that stage and being creative and, and working hard. But I was often the one who had to do the 
the sort of task of talking to um, the producers or the, you know, whatever the the people were that were in either venue or involved in, you know, I helped negotiate and I executive produced um, two of her albums. Um, I produced her tours. You know, I was really the the mouthpiece until she got on the stage and then Lord knows she didn't want me to sing. So that was her job. <laughs> you didn't inherit that piece of a talent, <laughs> no, did you? No, that's right. And, one, and somebody actually told me that once. They said, you don't have a nice voice like your mother. So clearly it was a good thing I didn't try to go into the family business that way. So I ended up, you know, negotiating deals um, from a business perspective. I'm not a lawyer, so there was always a lawyer involved. Um, and I would do from, from everything, from negotiating even down to, you know, working with costumes and, and being involved in every single creative meeting and as well as every, the business meetings, she really just sort of let me take charge of because she was not a business-minded person. So I learned, I mean, talk about learning on the fly. You know, I had many times had no idea what I was doing. Uh, a lot of times I'd be on the phone with, with very important people at a record company or at a, at a theater group and, or even in, sometimes in licensing deals and she would, you know, do voiceovers for different you know, brands and literally just be on the phone in silence because I didn't even know what to say. And sometimes that worked and people thought, oh, wow, you know, we better, we better step it up because they're being very difficult negotiators. But I was literally going, oh, my God, I don't know what to say. These people I just won't say anything. You know, as scared as I was. So I really was learning of, you know, how to deal with, with business people and be terrified. But, you know, I had a, a mother who absolutely believed that I could do it. And I didn't want to let her down. And I also was lucky because, you know, it was a privileged situation where I had experts I could turn to. Uh, to help me negotiate or to, you know, to actually finalize a deal. I mean, it certainly wasn't left up to me. So let, let's use that as a transition, and we're going to jump ahead a little bit to your current business, Simply Eartha. Can you tell us what prompted you to start this company? And then give us a little bit of an overview of what it's all about. Well, I mentioned earlier that my mother was very much about um, conser- <laughs> conserving energy, the planet, recycling, reuse, repurposing. And that meant words as well. And so words were very important to her. She loved them. She loved conversations, but real conversations. Um, she loved about politics, about something that would be very heated and philosophy. She read all of the great philosophers. She, this is a woman who, you know, didn't even go, barely finished high school, let alone went to college. And, you know, she was reading Plato's and Socrates, Plato and Socrates. And, you know, she would read all of Albert Einstein's work. Not that she understood it. That wasn't the point to understand it. The point was to just, you know, read it and absorb as much as, you know, you could. She also met Albert Einstein because she requested a meeting with him. And he, he, he sat with her for hours. She met Churchill. I mean, I have a picture of my mother and Churchill, which I would always tell my children for show and tell. You know, none of your friends are going to show up with a picture of their grandparents, you know, with the Churchill. So I guarantee you it's a good one. No kidding. Um, That's super cool. <laughs> yeah, it's very cool. You know, so I grew up with this woman who, who really, she read the dictionary. She, she just, she, she spoke five languages, not because she learned them in, you know, school, because she went and lived in these countries and that she, you know, she, would, she just learned how to get around because that's what you had to do. So um, she would write. 
a lot of writing. She would write her thoughts. She would write her feelings always down, sometimes on nice, beautiful, leather-bound books, other times on little pieces of paper, um, sometimes on napkins or the back of, you know, anything that, that she could. And so what she would before she passed, you know, she would often say to me, don't waste anything. If I've touched it, if I've written it, if I've done it, don't let it die with me. Don't let it go to waste. So when, um, after she died, my mother died of colon cancer on Christmas Day, 2008. And um, she, her house was three miles from my house in Connecticut. And I would then, you know, after about a year, I was ready to sell her house. And I went through her things. And she had, you know, little pieces of paper, thousands of pieces of paper with things written on them. Some long stories, some short little things. And she would call them kidisms. And these are, you know, very poignant, sort of like the keep calm and carry on type of little thing. Nothing that she made up. I mean, you know, how can you make up all of these things you've heard a thousand times? But she would just say them in a different way, maybe, or she would just write them down, and then they became hers. Because once she said them, you couldn't tell her that somebody else had said them first. That, that was, you know, that she, she, if she said it, it, she had coined it. So I have taken her words, because I didn't know what to do with all these pieces of paper, of all the, some of it's in her own handwriting. And I, I took, taken all these words, and I've made the line of accessories that say something. And these are home accessories as well as personal accessories, T-shirts, bracelets, candles, uh, pillows. Some of it I've actually used her own handwriting, and some of them I've used a font because her handwriting isn't always easy to understand. And so I looked at when I went to, to sort of develop a company, you know, I mean, it can, it, it, she's, she's not Marilyn Monroe, she's not Elvis Presley, you know, even though she knew James Dean, she's not James Dean. Um, you know, these images of her, some of, some I own, some I don't own. But it was sort of like, you know, just another picture. You, you want another photograph, another poster. That's, those are wonderful, and those images of, those, of these icons are amazing. But my mother was so much more than that, and she loved conversation so much that I started to incorporate these words, these kinisms. And at Christmas, about after she um, after she died, I sent a book that I'd made on my Mac computer to people who were very close in her life, who meant a lot to her, with these kidisms, because she sort of, you, if you knew her, you knew these, you know, these sayings that she would sometimes say. And I made this little book with pictures of her, and I used some of the kidisms, and I put them in this book. And the response I got from her friends was very much the, you know, oh, my God, I love these. You've got to do more with these kids. They're so cool. It's just so fun to see this side of her. And I can so hear her saying this and, you know, just like people who could relate to her. And so then I started to post them on the Facebook page, on um, which we have Facebook.com, The Eartha Kit. And people, strangers responded. You know, it wasn't just about, oh, I knew her and I could hear her saying that. It was, oh, I love those words. That's so amazing. Sometimes it was just something that said, don't panic. Sometimes it would be, you know, she would say, never miss an opportunity to shut up. Not because she was being a diva, but because she felt that people spoke too much. They spoke too loud. They over, they over, you know, they talked on top of each other. They didn't listen to other, what other people have to say. Sometimes they just didn't listen to themselves. And they didn't listen to the, the sounds of nature. So 
when you really start to think about the words, it's so much more than, you know, my flaws make me who I am. Um, many men wanted to lay me down, but few wanted to pick me up. You know, so when you sit and, like, really pay attention, they mean so much more than just sort of a glib passing statement. So I started to really take the words and then put them, some of them with her images, some of them without. And people would say, oh, I would love that on a whatever. So I decided to go and to do this line of accessories using um, local artisans, because my mother was very much about local work, you know, artisans and building from your own neighborhood within and made in the USA. So I took those very important things that were um, natural materials, local artisans, made in the United States, my mother's words, philosophies, wisdoms, whatever you wanted to call them. And I said accessories that say something because they really do, even though they may be just two words, they do say something if you really pay attention. And then the story, if you listen to how these are the words that I grew up with, but they're not necessarily because of how I grew up, but they really say something to everybody. And so to pass these words along to other people so they can think for themselves, they can pass them to somebody who might need them, they can start talking, maybe it opens a dialogue between people. Um, I think with just my mother would be so thrilled to see her words being carried on. And I see myself now as I have the opportunity to give voice to her words. That's what I'm doing. I also uh, donate to Colon Cancer Alliance because my mother died from colon cancer and you don't just put it out there, you do something with it and I believe that um, making sure that people know colon cancer is the second largest cancer killer in the United States and most people don't realize that uh, it's 90% uh, beatable, treatable and beatable. 90% but it's still number two in cancer killers. Um, so my my mission in life right now is to make talking about our colons as sexy as talking about our breasts. <laughs> I like that as a, a very unique goal. Thank you very much. Um, You're very welcome. <laughs> Kid, I want to get into sort of the um, nitty-gritty about how your business actually runs, how it operates, because um, – and, and I want to bridge this because we have spent so much time talking about the story of who your mom was – and mm -hmm. that story is absolutely foundational to your business. And so, you know, when it comes to branding, when you're going on your website, I mean, the, your mom's story is huge. Who she was is right there in your face. And anyone who comes and anyone who purchases these products, they're feeling your mother. Like, they're feeling who your mother was. They're, they're really getting touched by these, these sayings. And so what I want to know is, was that a very deliberate move um, to be able to brand via a story and be able to sort of build this storied brand? Like, was that part of a business decision for you? It was because I think that people relate um, on an emotional level. And, you know, this is really the story of when you say, it's a, you know, it's a tribute, it's an honor to my mother. It truly is. Um, it's a story about a mother and a daughter and the relationship that we had. My mother happened to be famous, but, you know, her, her, we've all got somebody in our life that we can remember, oh, my goodness, my grandmother said this to me, you know, this person said that to me, even if they weren't necessarily related to us. So I think when you go on an emotional level, 
even though they may not be able to relate to the fact that I was the daughter of a famous person, it's so, I think emotions go beneath that. They go deeper than that. And my hope is, is that you can relate to these words and the connection between my mother and I, and that somehow that makes a connection between you and your mother, your, um, you know, your brother, your sister, your, you know, your great aunt or your neighbor. So I do, yes, it was very deliberate to make it a story because I think that that's what separates uh, a, you know, a one brand from the other. I mean, you know, let's face it, I'm, you know, if I'm making a, a, a candle, a soy-based fragrance candle, well, okay, that's really not that unique. It's, um, you know, I'm not making, I'm not, you know, I'm not Apple. <laughs> I'm not making a mass computer uh, for the first time. Um, you know, I'm making something that exists that other people, you know, make just as well and maybe even better. But, but mine has a story to it that I'm hoping that people can relate to. And because of that, when they purchase it and they either keep it for themselves and look at it or give it to somebody else, that's the, the connection that they're going to feel. And that's what's going to set that's, that's the difference. I want to know a little bit about what it took for you to actually get this business ready because you're talking about a couple of things here. A, a website and people being able to purchase online and then B, like lining up the actual manufacturing and delivering of all of these products. So you said that you you know, created these connections and these relationships with these local kind of artisan products. Can you talk a little bit about what you needed to do to set up that, you know, the ordering of those, the manufacturing of those, how you're delivering, and then talk a little bit about the website and what it has taken really for that to to be functional for your business to really thrive? Well, first I have to say that the the way that I have found most of the, the sources of the artisans that are that are helping me build this business uh, has been through women. <laughs> and women, when you say business women rock and women, women rock like crazy. Um, <laughs> yes, we really, do. <laughs> it is, it is really just an amazing thing. How some of, some of these uh, stumbling upon some of these artisans has been because I asked for help or somebody said, Oh, I love to, I'm, I'm reading a little bit about your mother. That's such a cool thing. And then I would, Meet them, talk to them, and the next thing you know, they say, oh, you need to meet this person. I think this would be a really cool connection for you. And before you know it, that person's a, a candle maker or a, a you know, a, a, a T-shirt, pr- you know, printer or, a, you know, a pillow design. I mean, and that's how it's literally been a lot of it by accident or by my just saying, you know, to somebody, I, I think I, I know, um, that, you know, I, I could really use some help. Do you know anybody who does X? And a lot of times, you know, when you ask for help, people really want to help. You know, I was always scared of asking for help because I always felt like, oh, I had to look like I knew what I was doing, you know, because I'm daughter of a kid and we're supposed to be so connected. You know, you know when I, this is a business, I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> you know, it's really scary. And a lot of times, I have to just say, can somebody help me find this is what I'm looking for? Does anybody know anybody? And, and I'm amazed at the people who come, you know, who rise to to the challenge, even if they don't know. It's just unbelievable the women that I have met in this, in this on this journey. Um, so when it comes to, manuf- you know, I've been doing local People, some some local in, in the state of Connecticut, but also I, I have people who do some local and, you know, local is not just where I live. It's, it's local, I think, in the United States. And they're all, you know, there's a, there's a few artisans who do these pillows 
in, the, in North Carolina that are made that I do from, from the recycled T-shirts. And they break down the T-shirts and they make them and they weave in my mother's handwriting into these pillows and, and throws, which is just such a cool thing. Um, and some of them are just, you know, I literally, a couple of them I found by going to some of the, you know, the, um, the, the big shows, like the gift show. And, you know, stumbling upon what looked, you know, like little people in their, you know, a booth. Not big businesses because I felt like I would just be kind of, you know, what do they want to talk to me for? I'm just another... You know, another, yet another little little person. I wanted to go to the little people because those are the ones who actually get it <laughs> and can relate to a story. And they're like, oh, my God, I want to be part of that. That's really cool. Um, the bracelets are made in California, and the way I stumbled upon them was uh, there was a website that I saw, and it said, we're made in the U.S., and I was out with, in Los Angeles where my, my publicists are, my publicists who were my mother's publicists also, who have been with me on this journey, and we picked up the phone one day and called and asked to speak to the owner. And the next thing you know, he's helping me think, you know, outside the box and making these bangles and bracelets with my mother's words on them that are, you know, really, really cool. So sometimes it's really, it really is just about picking up the phone and, and taking a, a stab at it and, and realizing that the worst thing that can happen is someone will just say no. Which and let me tell you something. Having someone say no to me is really hard. I take that very personally, and you know I want to cry and just you know, take my toys and run home. Um, but that's what it is about being in business. You just sort of have to move on. And it's not you know not everything goes smoothly. Um, I wasted a lot of money on stupid things because I didn't know any better. And I thought, oh my god, that's gonna be so great. Let's get you know let's buy a hundred of those. <laughs> and the next thing you know, we've got you know a hundred you know, whatever they are downstairs and, you know, in my basement. So what are some of the most effective ways that your business is actually generating sales? Like what sort of marketing, because there's a difference between the PR and getting a brand and getting the story out there to the actual marketing and then, you know, letting the sales wrap it on in to actually make people take action on stuff. So what are you finding that's working for you that's probably the most effective for you right now? Um, The most effective I find is really um, face-to-face. And doing, I've, I've done a lot of these. I shouldn't say a lot. I've done some of these very big um, shows. I don't mean like the gift show and the stationery shows and those shows. I haven't done that yet. That's a little. I'm a little scared of those yet. I've gotten. I haven't got my courage up to take that step. But to do um, more of these women-based programs that where you know, you, as a vendor, you go there, and so you know, people really love to hear the story. It also resonates when I go to talk to individual uh, stores the, across the country. And that's what I really have done the most is, you know, I mean, I, I, right now I'm only uh, so far just in Connecticut and in New York, in, in New York, and I'm working my way outside of, you know, the region, um, which is our, this is our, my plan for this next uh, quarter. But um, the, the, the local stores, mom and pops, you know, really, resonate the stories resonate with them and they tend to buy products because uh, again it's an emotional connection um uh next month i will be appointed to the board of directors of the uh, national colon cancer alliance um where i will use that as i said to make more people aware of um the need for early detection and screening for colon cancer and that i think is also another way that you connect to people because you know we all have certainly cancers affected Almost, you know, I mean, everybody's affected by somebody they know. 
Um, I also do a lot of social networking and a lot of social networking, which I'm not good at delegating that. That is something that I tend to do myself, and that takes an enormous amount of, of time and brain creativity, which I'm, sometimes the brain cells are working and sometimes they're not. Well, you mentioned the idea of, um, you know, going and sort of talking belly to belly with some of these stores who can actually order stuff for you. So what percentage of um, sales would you say that you have via your website and what percentage are really ordered through these kind of like one-on-one meetings with particular, you know, like kind of corporate accounts is really what I want to call them? Um, I would say that um, probably right now 20% of my sales are done in, you know, at type of events, networking shows type of things, um, you know, maybe uh, about 10 to 15% retail stores and the rest would be online sales. Um, but a lot of those online sales start by, you know, connect, connecting with somebody um, that, you know, that you've met already or, you know, that, uh, that, that saw you somewhere uh, that you talked to. The beauty of social, of, of social networking is that you, people do get a chance to relate to you, to really, um, they, they get to, to, to hear the story or to see, you know, I'm lucky I have amazing images of my mother and I um, from when I was little. And so, you know, you'd work into something like Mother's Day where I post on the Eartha Kit page and the Simply Eartha page, uh, you know, different photos and maybe a poem. And a, a, this Mother's Day, I used a poem that my mother wrote to me when I was a little girl. You know, people really, that just, that connection that they make um, is intense. And the feedback that I get from people on the Facebook pages is really heartwarming and and unbelievable. Um, Also, in all my products, I put these little cards that, um, with. so it's, you know, the saying is don't panic. You know, I'll give a little, a little blurb about what don't panic, you know, what my mother would say about it. She would say, you know, it doesn't change anything and it just makes it difficult to see the opportunities that may be lying right in front of you. And then I'll say, what does don't panic mean to you? And tell us at, and then they'll come to the website and people love to dialogue with each other. So there's sort of like this little, this little chat room, these forums that are going on that people can connect with each other. And that to me is a really cool thing because I love, that's what I love doing. I love connecting with people. I love going onto Facebook pages and, and websites and, and falling into the, you know, black hole of Pinterest and, um, and, you know, making connections by, by emotionally seeing pictures. So that part of the marketing, I think, works, you know, works uh, quite well. Kit, what have been some of, like, the most challenging moments that you've had since you've started your business? Like, maybe some of those lowest moments for business-wise and things that maybe you just didn't know about or things that really caught you off guard or whatever it is, you were just in a really low moment. Um, and what did you do to get back up? Well, I mean, I think there's so many, you know, low moments come, you know, you ebb and flow so much in a, in a building a business. Um, some of the low moments have been where, you know, I was so sure that, uh, you know, you know, an ad that I would do, I remember running my first ad on Facebook um, and thinking, okay, that's just going to be amazing. The, you know, just let's sit back and the phone's going to, you know, the, the emails are just going to come flying in the order. Um, and they didn't, they didn't come flying in at all. <laughs> and it was like, oh, well, what did I do wrong? Like, did I not hit the right target audience? Did I not? I mean, there's so many 
subcategories that you can fill in and the right words to use and, you know, hashtagging and all of these different things that so many people are, are phenomenal at. And that was a really, you know, learning that the hard way, the first, that first ad I ran was just like, well, that didn't, that didn't, you know, it didn't even matter if it was $5 or $500. It was, you know, it didn't work at, at all. Um, and how do you get back up from that? I, you, you know, you don't. You cry and you wonder and you think, oh my God, this is, is this going to work? Am I doing the right thing? And, and then you just sort of say, well, you've come this far. Um, the feedback you get when you're, you know, when you're in front of people, I mean, is very positive. So you have to believe, uh, you know, on a, on some level that, it, that, it, that you're on the right track. And, you know, you just, you just keep moving forward. That's what my mother did. The evolution from where it started, you know, it is different. You sort of have to be willing to, to go in, you know, in a, to, to bend. <laughs> you know, as my mother would have said, when the river turns, you've got to be willing to, to make the turn or you're going to end up in the, you know, on the riverbank. Kid, I really want to bring this conversation to a close by asking you what the vision is for Simply Eartha. You know, you've just mentioned how much it's evolved just since it started. Where do you see it going and what's the larger purpose? I love words and I love the, you know, all everybody's words, not just you know, not my mother's kidism. So I really see it being, you know, growing to be, it can be anything, you know, you can put words on, on mugs and, you know, walls and bracelets and, you know, the side of a car for all I know. But what I love to be able to do is to make this connection on an emotional level to bring this part of my mother that people really might not have known. And if you know who she was, it sort of resonates, you know, even more. But if you didn't know who she was, it's like maybe just a cool thing. Maybe you don't care about who she was, but the name simply Eartha and, you know, it being a, a, a tribute to my mother, doesn't matter that she, who she was to you, but um, that you say, that's really cool. You know, I like that. I like those words. Don't panic. That's a really cool thing. You know, I wear that. I have a tattoo on my wrist. Um, I just like the idea of people being inspired by a word that would hopefully keep them focused, going, not panic. You know, whenever I start to get nervous or scared, my kids will say to me, look at your wrist, Mom. Look at your wrist. <laughs> and I'll remember, you know, That's don't cute. panic. You know, you got to, in the big, in the, you know, in the big picture, it's just, it's not, you know, it's really not that important. But here I am, I'm doing, in my own little world, um, I'm taking the legacy that my mother left me, and I'm putting my own spin on it with the foundation that she gave me. And I'm hopefully leaving something that my, my kids will be able to do something with. And, you know, maybe I can inspire somebody else as well to do something with. Maybe my mother's words will inspire somebody to who knows what. Kit, I really want to thank you so much for being on the show today and telling us your story, telling us more about your mom, telling us more about where you've been, where you're going. I think it's just such a beautiful example of how to make a tribute to somebody and how to make a brand out of that that's really making a difference. And you're definitely doing that. So big congratulations to you. Thank you so much for being on the show and for sharing with us. Thank you, Kit. I appreciate you having me. Probably my biggest takeaway that I got from Kit 
was the fact that she really drives her entire brand through the story of her mom. So these products aren't just products anymore with words on them, but they truly carry an entire story, an entire connection that people really feel. And that's why they get behind the actual product. So that was a really great takeaway. And I loved how she's doing that. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you got something great out of it, I would love to hear from you. Thank you so much for being here and I'll see you on the next episode. 